Well, good morning. If you were not here last week, Wayne has not been abducted, but he is taking a much needed sabbatical. And uh, I get the privilege of filling this pulpit for the next couple of weeks. And as I said last week, it is so much fun doing this in your home church. I love, I, I love Frisco Bible. I love being here. Well, with the name of George, trust me, I've heard all the nicknames. Georgie Porgy, George of the Jungle, King George, Curious George. But I am Georgie to everyone on my side of the family. Mom, dad, aunt, uncle, both of my grown sisters, both of their husbands, all of their grown children, and all of my cousins. Everyone on my side of the family calls me Georgie. Well, and the reason is, is because my dad was George. So it was Big George and Georgie. Now, dad has been gone. I'm in my 50s and I'm still called Georgie to this day because there are marks of my dad in me. I have some of his same personality quirks. I unfortunately inherited his hairline. Uh, My dad was one of the hardest working men I have ever known, and I think I got my work ethic from him. So we're very similar, but we're not the same. My dad and I had different opinions on different things. We had different experiences. My dad grew up as part of the greatest generation and fought in World War II. I'm a Gen X kid that grew up in the 70s and the 80s. So even though we are similar, we are not the same in our essence. That word essence is going to be something we're going to be talking about all throughout our uh, sermon today. If you were with us last week, or if this is your first time, we are doing a five-week series looking at the miracles of Jesus, five different locations, and five different miracles. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Nazareth and Capernaum, and we looked at these two words. We looked at authority, and we looked at power, that Jesus has both the authority and Jesus has the power. This week, we're going to be in John chapter 5. So if you got a Bible in front of you or an iPhone or whatever electric device of your picking, if you want to turn to John chapter 5, that's where we're going to be today. But let me go on and tell you the big idea. If you zone out for the next 30 minutes, don't worry about it because you just got to remember the big idea. And the big idea is Jesus as the Son of God is of the same essence as God the Father. That's a huge theological concept. We're going to be talking about the Trinity today, and we're going to be unpacking that. But God the Son is of the same essence as God the Father. So we're heading to Jerusalem today for our journey. So John chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says, after this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know what the Jewish Jewish festival was. It's most likely not Passover because when it's Passover, usually the gospel author is explaining that. We don't get the background. We just are given the reason of why Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was there for a religious festival. And by the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic which has five colonnades. And within these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So Jesus goes up to Jerusalem and it talks about this pool of Bethesda, which is gonna be right here. Well, oh, I went the wrong, see, this is why you need Wayne. 
because Wayne knows how to use these things. Let's try that one more time. So it's going to be right there, the Pool of Bethesda. So it is on the north side, the back side of the Temple Mount. So there's a map, but let's actually get an image of what this looks like. So where we're going to talk about today is right here in this area. We'll get a little bit closer. And you're going to see a gate right here. This is most likely what is called the Sheep's Gate. So the Sheep's Gate, this is where the sheep would come in for the sacrifice. And then there's a pool complex that was located right back here. This is now what's called the old city wall, but this wall did not exist during the time of Jesus. Most likely, the wall was right here. So the pool sat right outside of the, city, uh, the, city, the old town city of Jerusalem. When you go there today, there is a church called Church of St. Anne's. This dates back to the Crusaders. Beautiful church. And if you ever get a chance to go there, you want to go and sing a cappella in that church because the acoustics are perfect. It is world-renowned for its acoustics, so it's a fantastic place to go. But you go to this church, and then this is the Pool of Bethesda, as it looks today. They have been excavating the southern pool. There's actually two pools. There's a north pool, and there's a south pool, and most of the excavation has been on the south pool. The north uh, I'm sorry, the southern pool, 200 feet by 160 feet. This northern pool is 160 feet by 130 feet. Show you another image of what this looks like. This is a, another little chapel that dates back to the Crusaders. The pools were approximately 20 feet deep. Kind of see another view of what this would have looked like. And most likely, this is the wall that would separate the two pools. So there was a northern pool and there was a southern pool, and that would have been the wall that was between those two pools. And here's what the steps look like. So this is where the disabled people would be. Ancient witnesses tell us that the water here was a reddish tone. Most likely, it was warm thermal waters. And there were iron salts that were in there, and they were known for their municipal value. Well, then what happened is later on, after the time of Jesus, actually a pagan temple was built here because of the superstition around these waters. But during the time of Jesus, this is located on the backside of the temple, and this was not where the proper people hung out. This is where the sick people hung out. This is where the disabled people hung out. This was backstage where the sheep came in. This is not where proper Jews hung out. They hung out on the southern steps. But this is where we find Jesus is hanging out with the outcast. Verses 5 through 7 says, One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, someone goes down ahead of me. See, superstitiously, this man thought that when the thermal bubbles would start happening, the first person in, first, first come, first serve, the first person in would be the one who got healed. Jesus sees a sea of disabled people. And he finds this one man. This man was not asking to be healed. This man was not looking towards Jesus. Jesus found the man in this sea. And he says, do you want to get well? Well, the man in his mind, he thought, oh, this guy is going to help me get into the water. 
well, that'd be real nice if you can help me get into the water because I can't get into the water to heal myself. This man has no idea who Jesus was. This man has no idea what Jesus is capable of doing. And Jesus is getting ready to blow his mind. So let's go to verses eight and nine. This man thinks you're going to help me to get into the water. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And then instantly the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. For 38 years, this man had been not able to walk. Jesus was in his early 30s. This man had not been able to walk longer than Jesus had walked on the face of the earth. Most people didn't even live until their late 30s. Can you imagine a more desperate situation than to be a disabled person in first century Jerusalem with no hope whatsoever? And immediately he is healed. Muscle atrophy is gone. This man had no muscles to speak of. There is no bone density. This man has no bones. They're brittle and they are automatically made strong. The healing is instantaneously. And he says, pick up your mat. And he says, walk. Later when uh, John the Baptist is wondering, okay, is Jesus really the Messiah? He's sitting in prison and Jesus tells him this. Jesus replies to them. He says, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. We're going to see that in two weeks. The lame walk. We're going to see that today. Those with leprosy, they're cleansed. That's in the gospel accounts. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. Come back next week. We're going to raise somebody from the dead. And the poor are told the good news. Remember we talked about last week about the agenda of the Messiah. Here's the agenda of the Messiah all over again. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Last week when we talked about Capernaum, when we talked about this demon-possessed man being healed and about the church absolutely freaking out because no one had ever seen this before. No one had ever seen a lame man for 38 years get up and walk. Can you imagine the scene at that pool? They're all freaking out at this point because Jesus, the Messiah, has shown up. Well, continuing on with the story, it says, now the day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews, this is the Jewish leaders, said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Sabbath. Anytime you hear the word Sabbath in the gospel accounts, in your mind, you should hear the soundtrack of dun, 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 because somebody's getting ready to get ticked off. Every single time Jesus does a miracle on the Sabbath and somebody gets ticked off. Well, what is the deal with the Sabbath? This is going to be a common theme that you're going to see throughout. Now, this man had been disabled for 38 years. This man was not looking on that day to be healed. Jesus could have waited till Tuesday. Let's just be real truthful. It was not a life-threatening situation, but Jesus intentionally did the miracle on a Sabbath because he had something to teach. Every single miracle narrative, all of them, there's always a greater story. Jesus doesn't do, Jesus heals. Please hear me with this. But Jesus doesn't only just heal. 
Jesus heals for a greater purpose as well. And you're going to see a lesson that's there. There's going to be a lesson for the man. There's going to be a lesson for the crowd. And hopefully, there's going to be a lesson for us. So, Sabbath. What's the big deal with the rules? What's going on? Well, this goes all the way back to Genesis. So, in Genesis chapter 2, in the creation narrative, it says, On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all of his work of creation. So, for six days, God is working, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, we see this expanded in Exodus 31, 15. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Anyone who does work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. Okay, let me be very clear. Sabbath was never an end to itself. Sabbath was a means to a greater end. This is an agricultural society. You've got to work every single day. God says, take one day off and don't work and worship me. And even more than that, if you've got people working for you on your farms, if you've got people working for you in these different areas, you give them a day off so they can worship. You've got animals, rest them. Put them away for the day work six days, and then take the seventh day off to rest and to worship. So when it talks about work, it's talking about earning a living. Don't work seven days trying to earn a living. Work six days, take the day off, rest, and worship. But here's what we do as human beings. You know what we do. We are given very clear fences, and then we decide to build fences to keep us from the fences. And then we build fences to keep us from the fences to keep us from the fences. And you know how that goes. So that by the time that Jesus is walking the face of the earth, there are 39 different categories of work. And I'm exhausted even just looking at the list. And we're not going to go through the whole list, but I just want to show you the last one. It says, taking out something from one domain to another. So I'll pick on Mike Culver because I see him here this morning. So I want to go walk to Mike Culver's house and go visit him. But I can't bring anything to Mike Culver's house. Now, let's say accidentally in my pocket, I have a sewing needle. That is an implement of work according to this list. And I walk from my house to Mike's house and I accidentally have a sewing needle in my pocket. Did I break the Sabbath? And the Jewish leaders time said, absolutely you did. Here's the crazy one. If I had a wooden leg and I walked to Mike Culver's house, I would be breaking the Sabbath because I would be carrying something. What? Jesus did not break the law of the Sabbath. Jesus broke the ridiculous traditions the fences on the fences on the fences that had surrounded the Sabbath. Continuing on. After this, Jesus found him, found the man in the temple and said to him, see, you're well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. These religious leaders were all worked up about the Sabbath rules and regulations and traditions all being 
uh, being messed up. And they're trying to figure out who is this man? Because if this criminal messes with our Sabbath stuff, he is a menace to society and we need to take care of him. And immediately what happens is that the spotlight moves from the man in the breaking of his Sabbath to Jesus. And it is game on at that point because they have no idea what they're getting ready to face. They should have been celebrating that this man had been healed and they weren't. They were, inquis- they were in- in- doing an inquisition of this man. Here's Jesus and he goes, finds him for the second time. Remember first time, sea of disabled people. This man's not looking for Jesus and Jesus finds him. This man's now healed. This man's now faced this inquisition and Jesus goes and finds him a second time in another sea of people. And then here's the really cool part. This man had never been to the temple before. Disabled people couldn't go to the temple. And so Jesus goes and finds this man and he says, see you're well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. You've been given a new lease on life. Now, there must have been some sin struggle in this man's life. And Jesus says, you have this new lease on life. Don't go back there because something worse is going to happen. And you're thinking in the man's mind, Jesus, what could be worse than being disabled in a first century city for 38 years? Well, it's eternal consequences. And that's where Jesus is going with this. John 5, 15 and 16 says, the man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, theologians are split on this one. Was the man being malicious or was the man just maybe not the sharpest knife in the drawer? It could, it could be either one. I think it's more the second one. He just didn't think through the consequences. He knew that if he went back and told Jesus that they're going to go after Jesus, I don't think the man had any ill intent. But that is what happened. And like I said, the spotlight has now moved from the man and has now moved on to Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. We're going to talk about five things, like father, like son. That Jesus, the son of God, is equal to God the father in these five things. In essence, in work, in power, in judgment, and in honor. And it's going to be kind of like a courtroom scene where Jesus is both the lawyer, but he's also the judge in this. So the very first one is essence. So John 5, 17 and 18, Jesus responds to them, responds to these religious leaders. My father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. My father is still working. My father. There is absolutely no Jew who would ever say that. They maybe would say our father collectively that God the father is the father of the nation of Israel. But there is no Jew that would ever claim a personal relationship with God the father. And so what Jesus is doing is Jesus is claiming a unique and radical relationship that there is God the father and there is God the son. And everyone in the room knew that that's what he was doing. My father is still working. 
Okay, we already talked about the craziness of the Sabbath. Let's just keep the craziness going. Jewish rabbis in the first century debated, well, does God work on the Sabbath? I can't go to my Culver's house. I can't bring my sewing needle. I can't bring my wooden leg. But does God work on the Sabbath? Because God has to rest. But if God's not working, this world spins out of control. So what's going on there? How they came up with a solution, they said, well, since God the Father fills the entire earth, then all the earth is his domain. So technically, he doesn't move anything out of his domain to somebody else's domain. That was their logic. Jesus looks at these rabbis and says, you have no issue with God the Father working. I'm just doing what God the Father does in working. My father is working and I and, and still working and I am working also. I am just doing what the father says for me to do. Now, this idea of equality with the father, I mean, that's what Satan says. That's what Pharaoh said. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. That's crazy to say that you're equal to God the father unless... It is true. Colossians 2.9 tells us, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Hebrews 1.3 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So let's talk about Trinity. This is the foundation of your orthodoxy of understanding the Christian faith. And there are four principles to understand with the Trinity. There is only one God, but that one God exists in three persons of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And the three of them of Father, Son, and Spirit, there is a relationship of functionality between the three of them with no inferiority whatsoever. And that has existed for all eternity. That is a foundational concept to understanding the Christian faith. And let me go on and tell you four ways you're going to jump off the rails. If you want to know how to introduce heresy, it's always going to be one of these four things. Number one is that you say, well, there is one God, but he's not in three persons. There's only God the Father. That is how a Muslim would look at this screen and say, there's only one God and his name is Allah. Jesus might be a prophet. Jesus might be an enlightened sage. Jesus might have been adopted at the baptism, but he is not God eternal. That there's only one God and it's the Father. So Jesus, uh, Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit are not equal to the Father in God, not having the same essence. Or the other thing you do, you say, well, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three gods. Now you got Greek mythology. Now you got Thor and all these different things going on. And that's crazy stuff too, where they're all three gods and they all have their own independent will and they all do their own independent thing. The third one's called modalism. And what that is, is that God exists only in one mode at a time and he changes mode depending on what the season is. So in the Old Testament, it was God the Father and it was God in heaven. But then when Jesus walked the earth for those 30 some odd years, God existed on the earth, but he did not exist in heaven because God can only be in one mode at a time. That's called modalism. 
The fourth one is you deny the humanity of Jesus. And you say, well, Jesus is God, but he's like this phantom ghost and he's not really a person. Welcome to heresy. One of those four things, trust me, you're going to jump off the rails when you have one of those four things. Well, let me introduce you to one of those. Um, in the, around 300 AD, there was a church leader named Arius. And Arius was teaching that Jesus is awesome. Jesus is amazing. Jesus was the first and the highest and the greatest of God's creations. Jesus was made and he is not eternal. And this was being taught in churches. And this was a major crisis of the early church of how are we going to deal with this? And what does this function and what does this look like? There were two ecumenical councils that were called as a result of this. First is the Council of Nicaea, which is in 325, and then the Council of Constantinople in 381. And coming out of that was the Nicene Creed. Now, you didn't know it, but you sang it this morning. That last song, Holy, 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 the phrases out of that song come out of the Nicene Creed. Let me introduce you to part of what the Nicene Creed says. It says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of lights, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance, essence, with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to scriptures. And he ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again in glory to judge the quick fancy word for the living, to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. Essence. Jesus isn't kind of like God the Father. Jesus isn't different from God the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, is of the same essence, of the same substance as God the Father. So if the son is equal to the father, in essence, there's also four other things, and these go much quicker. Second one is, is that Jesus, the son, is equal to the father in work. We're going to see that in John 5, 19 and 20. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Jesus was not being a rebel in what he did on that Sabbath day. God the father works on the Sabbath. God the Son works on the Sabbath. Again, like Father, like Son. And it says that the Father loves the Son. It's this idea, again, of that trinity of a perfect relationship of Father and Son being together. The Father reveals the activities to the Son. He reveals direct insight. And then the actions of Jesus are the actions of the Father because Jesus the Son through him, the Father is acting. In this last phrase, 
he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Here's the paraphrase. You think this guy getting up and walking is a cool thing? You ain't seen nothing yet. I am getting ready to blow your minds. Next verse. Essence, work, power. I'm going to blow your minds because I have power over life and death. Verse 21, and just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to whom he wants. See, God is the only one who gives life. This again goes back all the way to Genesis chapter two. The Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. In Deuteronomy, God the Father says this, see now that I alone am he. There is no God but me. I bring death and I give life. I wound and I heal no one can rescue anyone from my power. This is something that only God can do. And Jesus says, I can do the exact same things. And we're going to see this. If you come back in two weeks, we're going to see in John, uh, uh, I'm sorry, come back next week. You come back next week, you're actually going to see Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. In John chapter 11, you're going to see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. At the end of all four gospel accounts, you're going to see Jesus being raised from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. And here's the awesome thing. This is actually talking about your resurrection as well. Every one of you will also be resurrected to new life. Because Jesus has the power. Jesus is equal to the Father in essence. Jesus is equal to the Father in work. Jesus is equal to the Father in power. Jesus is equal to the Father in judgment. John 5, the Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. The basis of judgment has already been established. If you go back just two chapters to John 3.16 and following, one of the most famous verses, but it teaches the theological concept that's here. It says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. God the Father did not send Jesus to condemn you, but if you reject the offer of salvation, you stand condemned already. And that's how Jesus becomes the Savior, but that's also how Jesus becomes the judge. God the Son is equal to God the Father in essence. God the Son is equal to God the Father in work. God the Son is equal to God the Father in power. God the Son is equal to God the Father in judgment. And the last one is God, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus the Son of God is equal to God the Father in honor. So John 5, 23 says, so that all people may honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who has sent him. See, if Jesus is equal in all those things of essence and of work and of power and of judgment, then he is also worthy of the honor as well. And so if you don't honor Jesus, you are not honoring the father. 
And so we conclude in verse 24 with a choice. There's a choice of life or of death. Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Anyone who hears and believes, those are two sides of the same coin. How do I know that my children hear me? It's because they actually do what I told them to do. If you don't do what I told you to do, I don't know if you actually heard me. And so the same thing. Jesus says these things, but it's the, action, the, it's the act of believing. Think about the man. Here's a man disabled for 38 years. Jesus says, you're healed. Get up and walk. And the man says, you know, I'm going to try that on Tuesday. The miracle already took place, but the man did not take the miracle as a fact in his own life and would just sit there and say, I'll try it again later. No, if you hear, you're going to act. And then here's the really cool phrase, this last one, has passed from death to life. So remember our illustration while I was just talking about, I'm going to walk over to Mike Culver's house with my, my sewing needle and my wooden leg, and I'm going to get in trouble. Because the issue was moving something from one domain to the next. This word past means to move location. Where's your address? Oh, I live at 123 death but I recently moved addresses to life. That's exactly the wordplay that's there. There's death, but there's an opportunity to move to life. And it's based on faith. Romans 8, 1 and 2, verse 1 isn't up there, but verse 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, here's the cool thing. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they have an awesome package for you and it is called life. And it is a gift that is available for you. And all three of them put the gift together. Eternal life is not something that happens in the future. Eternal life begins now. If you are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you now. If you are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, you are an adopted son or daughter of our Heavenly Father now. If you have trusted in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, do you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. Father, Son, Spirit have this amazing gift, and it's called life. You got a gift called death. That's a bummer of a gift. I'd much rather trade it out for the life gift. And just as the man who was sitting by the pool, he wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus found him. See, left to our own devices, we don't look for Jesus either. It's Jesus who has to come find us. And today could be the day for you that Jesus has found you and is offering you the gift of life. Join me in prayer. There might be somebody in this room who's like, man, that offer of life, man, that sounds awesome. Today's that day that you could accept that. In the quietness of your own heart, you could pray a very simple prayer like this. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I know my sin deserves death. 
And I believe that Jesus died for me and rose from the grave. And I trust Jesus alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and for life everlasting that I now have. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, watching online, live stream, or here, there's some folks at the church that would love to journey with you on that journey. I'd love to talk with you as well. So don't hesitate to come here, talk to folks at the welcome desk, because we would love to help you on that spiritual journey. Let me close this out in prayer. Almighty God, you have revealed to us your eternal being in glorious majesty and perfect love as one God in trinity of persons. Give us grace to continue steadfast in the confession of this faith and constant in our worship of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For you live and reign one God now and forever. Amen.